Welcome, everybody, to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins. And if the audio quality sounds different, uh, there's a reason for that. It's because I am on vacation. I actually wanted to record this by the beach, which sounded like an awesome idea, until I brought my recording equipment down there and realized that it's loud as shit. (laughs) I was hoping that I could be far enough away that the ambiance and the waves crashing would be awesome. So uh, that didn't work out. And and now I'm sitting in my car and looking like a strange person just talking to this little recording device as people walk and drive by. But anyways, that's that's the deal. That's why I'm doing this. We had a lot of feedback from last week's show, so thank you very much if you're a new listener. Uh, Check out the episode with Brandon Cipetti because there was a lot of feedback on it. So thank you for that. And the guest this week is John Bradley from the band Dads. More on him in a minute. Let's get some business out of the way. We have a YouTube page. A lot of people listen to stuff on YouTube. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that happens, you know, because it's free. A lot of people can listen to music for free on there. They don't have to sign up for a subscription service or whatever. But anyways, the kids are on YouTube, so that's where I want it to be. If you can visit the website, 100wordspodcast.com, look on the right side of the page. There's a click-through link if you want to uh, find the YouTube page that way, or it's just youtube.com backslash user backslash crushed on you. And, um, yeah, I will be posting some of the old episodes there over the course of the next few months. I already have got like 20 or so shows up there and it's cool because people that would never listen to a podcast, listen to it on YouTube and get into the show, which is awesome. I love to see the different interactions that people have with YouTube. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, awesome. Thanks. I appreciate it. People are donating to the show and leaving reviews and I want to thank them for that so much. It's to the point where it gets a little obsessive on my end in regards to uh, someone who is a regular contributor to the show. His name is Samuel, lives in Australia. You know, I kind of email him a lot (laughs) on random stuff because he's contributed a decent amount of money to the show and I feel invested in him. So, you know, I, I like email him upcoming guests and all this other stuff. So not to say that I'll do that for every person, but um, I'm just weirdly obsessive when it comes to that stuff and ultimately thankful. So here's some people who left some awesome reviews. Jerome1975 says, this show is exactly what I wanted and wished for. Wow. Thank you. I appreciate it. Amen Pinto from the UK says, it's an intimate show and it keeps me company for long distance drives. How incredible is that? Thank you so much for reviewing the show. Pop on to iTunes if you have not done so. Drop some stars, write some nice sentences. I would appreciate that. And visit propertyofzach.com, our media partner. We love them. Thank you so much for helping spread the word of the show. Visit the website, like I said, 100wordspodcast.com. And you can email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. So let's talk about John Bradley. He is the drummer for the band Dads who are uh, jokingly, you know, tongue-in-cheek, be kings of emo. Uh, they won some uh, a poll on Property of Zach, I want to say two years ago, uh, and that got a lot of the internet talking. A two-piece band from New Jersey, great band. I'd never seen them up until maybe about a month and a half or so ago, and uh, they're really good. Just, I mean, definitely a lot of mid-90s influence, as you would imagine, but they've got a lot of other stuff going on that kind of separates them from the pack. Um, they have a new record coming out this fall on 6131 Records, and um, a lot of cool stuff going on musically, especially for a two-piece band. And watching John play drums is awesome. 
because he's extremely interactive. He's the main vocalist, um, and it's just cool. So I was a little nervous about this interview because I had never met John before. We have a million mutual friends, but had just never spoken before. So uh, it's always that weird, like, okay, I got five minutes to kind of warm up with him before we start doing the interview. Um, but, oh, man, he was, like, primed and ready for this, and he had listened to a few episodes, and uh, he was ready. And it was awesome because anytime you have that, it just makes it much easier for both you and the guest to kind of get on the same level. So, John, I think I asked maybe like seven questions throughout this whole interview. And as far as structured questions were concerned, the rest were just kind of, you know, me unpeeling whatever John had just said. It was a very in-depth chat. Uh, We talked about a lot of personal stuff, um, a lot of struggles that I know everybody that gravitates towards independent music kind of goes through. And so John's conversation is, I think, emblematic of a lot of experiences that we all have gone through. So it was really meaningful for me because there's a lot of stuff that John identified with and spoke to that, you know, hit me hard. So with that being said, I don't want to talk anymore. Here is John, and I will talk to you after the introductory point sure. to you, the band, etc. Because I remember I heard about you guys through Joey and 6131. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things he was like, yeah, they're, you know, I'm signing this band that's like obviously kind of different from what I've signed in the past yeah. with 6131. He's like, I think you like it. So he sent me his stuff and I was like, oh yeah, like I had already heard your name yeah. bubbling up. I can't remember exactly how he described you guys, but it was one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, right, like this is a Ray band. Like you'll like you'll get this. And I was like, oh, like I'm excited to listen. Yeah. And then on top, like I didn't know that you were a two piece. Mm-hmm. Like, and then I was just like, oh, like there's multiple la- levels of originality with this. Yeah, that was exciting because it's like you know, I, no slight to every band ever, but clearly the fact that you are challenging yourselves by being a two piece, mm-hmm. like that must be fun to. I mean, that must be a question you always get. That you're just like, well, I'm kind of not sick of talking about it because it's so unique. Right, right. Besides the Black Keys. Besides the Black Keys. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone brings that right. up. Right. Granted, this is the first tour that we're going to have a bass player, but still. Right. Yeah. But the core, yeah, the core focus of it. Right. It's something where we were both in bands where there weren't bass players. And I was, I've been in a two-piece, Scott had been in a two-piece. Uh, and it was just like, we had a bass player at the beginning of it, didn't work out for many reasons. Right. So we just kept going. And it was like... We already know how to get the sound of fake bass. Right. We already know how to make it sonically sound okay live. Yeah, to make it full, right? Right. right. So it was like, let's just keep doing it. It's easier. If we find someone that we feel comfortable with, yeah. we'll bring it on. But it was like never, we never set out to be like, we're never having a bass player. It was yeah, just like, yeah. we can't find a third member that we would want to bring in the band and can play bass. Well, it's, it's it, I'm glad you mentioned that this was something I was going to mention at some point where it's like, it's basically everything that you guys have done mm-hmm. has been by accident. Exactly. Like, like, and that's not illegitimizing the hard work you put into it. Right. But like, it, it from the inception of the band, the band's name, like, everything. Yeah. It's been like, oh, yeah, we didn't mean for it to be like this, but then this happened. And it kind of, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, we're very, very happy. Like, I am so grateful with what's happened so far. Yeah. But it's always like, well, what if we did it this way? Like, right. there's always that thought of like, what if we were serious immediately? What if we came out with a serious band? And what if we right. came out, like... 
Because we toured as much as possible. Right. But it was because that's all we had going. Like, the other bands we were in couldn't. Right. And, like, we always took it completely seriously, but we always had fun. Yeah. And I know so many bands where it's all, like, completely serious. Sure. And they get taken seriously. Right. And it's like, I would never change anything we've ever done, but I've wondered, like, would our options open more if we were a very serious band if we weren't a band called dads we've heard from tour managers and other managers of different bands yeah that band is never playing my band's tour because of their name like we've heard that so it's you, like really we've heard from different labels i would never put out a record by a band called dads it, it, is it just because they they feel like it's just like one big like you're a joke like, i guess i mean i know it's tough for right you to right it's like so like when you're sitting there and you're like Especially when we were younger and it was like, uh, this is, this is like, we've been in bands, but this is our first time getting into the politics of music. Right. Getting into the business. The business, of it. right. Exactly. Right. So it was like, when you hear like a band that you like think is doing everything right and you're like, that's cool. Right. You're just like, oh, okay. Or like a record label where like you have friends pitching you to that label and being like, you need to put this band's record out. They're going to do well. They're going to tour their right. like, asses off. And then you're like, oh, it's just the name. Yeah. And like, we've had people straight up be like, Change your name and we'll sign you. Like, change your name and we'll put your stuff out. And I'm just like, I, oh my God, like, do you realize that no matter what the name is, we've worked everything for this band. Right. And it's just like, I don't think people know to approach somebody and say, change your name and we'll put it out. It's like a slap in the face. Oh, it totally is. It shouldn't be about a name. It should be about music. It should right. be about people. I mean, I guess it shouldn't be shocking for me to hear that. I just... I, I would never, I mean, especially just because I've worked in the music industry for so long, I would never approach it. Like, there are certain bands, like, I, I there's this band that I, I worked with when I was working at this record label. Uh, they were called the Abandoned Hearts Club. Okay. Great band Familiar name. Familiar with it, yeah. Yeah, great band name from Toronto. They said that they were going to name their record Aloha Cocksuckers, <laughs> which I was like, that's great. Like, that is yeah, so funny, yeah. confrontational. I get it. Like from a business perspective, I was like, okay, well, if you really want to name your record that, we're not going to be able to sell it in certain record right. stores or whatever. But I would never look at a band name like Dad's and be like, like, oh, I literally like, I can't sell this. People won't take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, maybe you could like, you know, obviously googling you guys is like next to impossible unless you put Dad's band, right? But right, I just I don't, I I don't mean to like harp on the name, but it's no, just no, like for it, sure. it's so it's it, a like, big deal, right? It's like because especially like, because like, opportunities haven't been afforded exactly. To That's incredible. and it's like. There have definitely been points in like where it's like you look at a band like like I'm trying to think of different bands that are like excelling right. because of course like when we're just playing basement shows and stuff like that it's like we're just having fun we're definitely just having fun right but then when you bring in the business aspect of it and you have people like a manager like a label that's behind you right showing you a future yeah and you start to kind of think of the future and it's like well you know a band have we called, shot our, have we shot ourselves in the foot or something? not even that but like yeah, okay yeah. well a band called Blink One Eighty Two did it right or like Aerosmith did it what does Aerosmith mean stuff right. like that like. There are bands with wacky names that have done it. Of course. To the point that you just forget what the name even means and you just go, this is a band's name. They're a band. Right. Do you like music or not? <laughs> look, at, so it's like, look at Google. Exactly. <laughs> there, exactly. There's no connection. Exactly. It, it becomes meaningless. Or, I mean, obviously Google's become a right. verb, but like the band name in and of itself like should become meaningless at a point. Right. Or, or just the identity of it. Right. Like, I don't like Kiss that much. Nothing against them. I never got into them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're playing arenas, though. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're doing something right. And I feel like it's just, like, it's weird to me when people were so, not even offended, but just, like, put off by it. Yeah. It's a word. I know. That's Not offensive. Right. Yeah. It's that's... just a word, and we're doing music. Right. It is a familiar, it is a familial name. Yeah. 
Everybody has one. Yeah. And it's just like, we obviously are doing something right, right. whether it's the name or not. Right, right, so we'll right. Figure right. It out. But yeah, there's always the question of like, well, if, what if we just took the two of us and then like another dude and started a side project that had a serious name? Right. And it was like, would that then excel even more? And it's like, right. I don't ever know if I want to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I'm yeah. so happy with what we're doing now. No, totally. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those hypotheticals that you can never go down because you'll end up, you'll probably end up looking at or being disappointed in what you're doing currently. <laughs> you know, and like not in a yeah, bad way, yeah, but yeah. not being able to appreciate the stuff yeah. that's like literally right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly believe that like, I, at the end of the day, as cheesy as it is, believe that everything kind of happens for a reason. So it's like, sure. okay, so maybe we didn't get on that one label that our friends were selling us, right. but now we got on 6131. And right. now we have the people behind us that we have, and now we're on this tour. And now it's like, everything happens for a good reason to right. us. And whether and if a person says, like, you know, no to you now, or whatever, no right. to you, like, two years ago, but then, like, you know, in another two years, they would look at you and be like, oh, like... I've come around to it because right. like they, they've clearly quote unquote proven themselves. Right. Like that's more vindication for the work that you're doing. Like that'll, mm-hmm. that'll make you probably feel better in the long run. Cause you're I've like, had record label owners yeah. drunkenly tell me that they wish they put out our record. Like yeah, yeah. that turned us down. Right. Clearly that right. I then met up with after our record came out and they see the numbers and they're just like, Oh, I wish that we put up, we would have put out your record. Right. Right. Like, okay. Yeah, like, you're like that feels good. That yeah, feels yeah. good, but it's like that's not like I'm not doing this just to to get the that validation. Sure. Right, right. Like yeah, I'm yeah. happy no matter what. Right, I'm happy because we're putting a record out. I'm totally. happy because we wrote it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah, the the logistics of where it's coming out is a factor, but right. I know that I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if we just took it and said, "Here it is online." Like right. I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the process of it is is rewarding enough. Born and raised. Were you in New Jersey like your whole life? What's Tell me the structure behind that. I'm a military brat. I was born oh, okay. on Guam. Oh, wow. And I lived there until I was seven. Okay. And then moved to New Jersey. Were um, both your parents in the military or just your father? Both my parents were in the Navy. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the Navy. Yeah. Okay. My dad's joke is that he joined the Navy because he was allowed to have a beard and tattoos. Right. Um, my mom's joke was that... I was going to say, did they, did lived, they meet? They met in the Navy. Yeah. Oh, wow. They. She lived in... I don't know if it's considered... Like, Kensaltucky, Pennsylvania, or Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. But it's, like, definitely, like, a weird area of okay. that land where, like, they might not still not have internet. Right, <laughs> like, right, right, yeah, yeah. They definitely do, but they might not know it. Right, so right. So it's, like, she grew up there and then would go into Harrisburg a lot. Okay. And she, like, lived in two different areas in Pennsylvania. Sometimes in the summer, she would be in one area. Sometimes in the, the fall, she would be in Harrisburg. Okay. Um, and at some point she realized that she didn't really like what was going on in her life and she joined the military to get out. Okay. And my dad grew up in the military, never lived at a place for more than two years. And just, it was his a career, Yeah, career military what he man. figured he was supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're a huge disappointment then. <laughs> because you didn't go honestly, to the military. Honestly, my sister married into the military. Okay. It was a hesitation for my parents. Nothing against the man she married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They left the military. They got oh, out. Okay, got it. They looked at my mom. My dad quit. Mm-hmm. Or didn't quit. Retired. Maybe he retired. Remember. Needed to go on to other things. Okay. My mom was told when we were in Guam, she said, well, your next assignment is going to be to be in, on a boat around Japan for two years. And she goes, well, I have two kids, so right. I'm going to retire. Like, it was like, either you retire or you go to yeah, Japan. Yeah, you've, you've hit the wall. Right, right, by yourself in Japan. So it was like... I'm not going to leave my kids. Like, I was, like, five at the time. Oh, yeah. Or maybe seven. I don't know. But still, um, yeah, yeah. So she was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So we moved to New Jersey. And it was like, 
they got out. My sister, fast forward, my sister meets somebody in the military. Right. And my parents were just like, we don't want you to have to live the military life. Okay. Of your husband is away for 15 months at a time right. overseas in Iraq or Afghanistan. Huge demand. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're scared. Like she can't watch, my sister can't watch military movies, like a jarhead or something like of that. Of course. Because she fears that that's what's happening to her husband. Right. Um, so my parents were terrified for her. Okay. So like to me, not joining the military. They're like, Brad! Yeah, they're Wow, There's been a time yeah, yeah. that I've been like very, very like unhappy with where I was in my life, and I've sure. told them like, That's I know that I always can, right? And they're like, I hope you never do. And it's like nothing against military, no, no, no. But yeah. they've done it, and they just don't want me to have to go through it. They know that I would just get. They know they they yeah. know they know the the pitfalls that can obviously uh, happen to a person who decides to you know as much as there are positive things right. behind it, they they obviously willingly left. And so they're taking that baggage with right. them. Because obviously it's like every parent wants, quote unquote, better for their children. Right. And they know that experience and they're like, we don't want that for our kids. Exactly. And it's like, if I was a single man that was doing nothing in his life and was very happy with the city I was in, yeah. or very unhappy with it, right. I would totally imagine joining the military. If right. I didn't know much else and I just needed to get out and get paid and travel and just see the world, right? There, I would see doing it. There's I would options. never be... Like, I yeah. know for a fact... I'm not strong. I know that I would just die under pressure if I was a Marine. Right. So the Navy would be my go. Yeah. The other thing is I'm afraid of the water. Like, I'm afraid of, like, <laughs> being in the ocean. So a submarine would scare me to death. Right, right, right. You were not destined for that lifestyle, even if your parents encouraged it. I'm afraid of heights, so I couldn't be in the Air Force. Right. I'm afraid of being around water and nothing else. I don't know where I would go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Army, I feel like I'd still be afraid. But There's it's no, like, yeah. it's an option. Right, right, it's right. It's there if I need it. Right. Okay, that's it. Well, it's it's... I'm glad you didn't have that experience of obviously the the pressure that can be exerted in regards to a military family where right. it's like, well, my you know your grandpa did it, I did it. Right. Like, no, I never. don't know why I'm putting on that accent, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, still. No, it was never there. It was like that's cool. I grew up in a very good household. Yeah, and I remember listening to my favorite bands and being like, they are. From like terrible, terrible childhoods, uh -huh. I will never compare to them because of how happy I am as a kid. Right, and we had our problems. Of every course, family every does. family does. Yeah, and we came from a very bottom area, mm -hmm. moved to New Jersey. We left Guam because, as like a, an American, especially with white skin and red hair, right, I had to go to private school or else I would have gotten assaulted every day in, in okay. school. Because as an American, they hate you. Sure. Because of the fact that, I mean, yeah, we're they're, basically they're, colonizing right. there's, it. There's, there's a like, long history there. It's yeah. wrong. Right. What, what is going on there is definitely wrong. Sure. And it's like, we had to leave Guam, especially once they left the military, because it meant that if we went to public school there, we would have gotten Your life would up. be extremely difficult. Right. right. We would have gotten beat up every day. And it's like, we moved to New Jersey... And it was like, at that point, we were still very hurting for money. Mm -hmm. And like, we definitely went through a lot of time where it was bad. Sure. But we were then able to overcome it. Yeah. So it's like, my parents aren't the type that need to go on vacations. They aren't the type that need to live frivolously. Yeah. So it's like, they were able to just find ways around it. And they're smart. They're right. super smart. So it was like, money was never a big deal. It was like, we know how to get by. Sure. We know how to hustle and make exactly. it happen. Right, exactly. Right, right, right. And it's like... And it's, I mean, I'm sure because, because you have those experiences too, it's obviously uh, you're bonded that much tighter to your family unit. Exactly. Exactly. Because all you have is each other to rely Exactly. On. And there's only four of us. It's only me and my sister and right. my parents. So it's like... And we never had a strong relationship with relatives. We've always tried. Yeah. But like, we weren't the family where grandma lived up the street. Right. Like, 
my my mother or my grandmother and my grandfather until he passed lived mm-hmm. in Colorado. Yeah, so yeah. we were that wasn't Jersey. close, right? exactly. And even in Guam, like we never really saw them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my my mom's side was always in Pennsylvania, and it's like even when we moved to Jersey, it was four hours away. Got it. And it was like my mom would work all week, and then come home and immediately drive us Pennsylvania for the weekend, come back Sunday, go back to work. Right. And it was just like we were never that close. It was just what we felt we had to do. Of course. Yeah. yeah the familial obligations that you have. Exactly. What um and so then as you so were you like seven or eight when you were in New Jersey? Seven. Okay. Moved at seven. Yeah. So you most of your formative year and where in New Jersey in particular, North Jersey or Central? Central. Okay. There's a fight. There's an argument of whether or not there is a Central Jersey. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess so. People always say, "What exit of the Turnpike?" Um, exit of the Turnpike would have been. Nine. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's nine and then 127 off the parkway. But okay. it's like... Sure. It's very much in the middle. Like, okay. it's like, there's New Brunswick. Yep. I lived in Piscataway, which is a city that touched New Brunswick. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. at first, when we first moved, we moved with a house already bought. Okay. Like, my fa- my dad went there, scouted it, started working at AT&T, lived there for a couple months, just getting everything yeah, set Yeah, set the foundation. Exactly. Right. Uh, when we moved, finally... We got there, and the woman said, well, the house isn't ready yet. Okay. So we lived for six months in a hotel. Okay. So we were like, because of like, we, it was too late to get a lease on an apartment. So right. it's like, we were just hammered. Let's just, let's just hang out. Right, yeah. right, yeah. And it's like, I have this deep appreciation for hotels that I, I feel safe there for some reason. Now. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You don't feel like a trip. Yeah. You, right. Where some people feel like it's like, oh, this is like, you know, I can be here for a few days, but it's right. uncomfortable. Right. It was like, to <laughs> me, being at a hotel feels safe. Okay. And I remember there was a point of life where, like, our basement flooded all the time. Anytime right. we would get an inch of rain, it was flooding. Sure. And we would have to go to a hotel. And I was like, this is cool. Like, yeah, I'm ha- like, like, I can't wait. I'm bummed about the basement, but, like, it's fine because yeah, I'm yeah. having fun. Right. But, yeah, so we lived in the hotel, then finally moved into a new house. Um, not a new house, a house. Yeah. Uh, and we've lived, or they've lived in that house ever since. They're oh. trying to leave now, but they're yeah, there yeah. now. You, the roots were planted. The roots are there in New Jersey. Um, it's a place that I've said many a time, I would never want to raise my kids there, uh-huh. but I'm happy I grew up there. Okay. I've faced a lot of different things that I'm happy I saw uh-huh. and that I'm happy that I lived through because it taught me how to live in the world. And I think that New Jersey is such a culmination of every single possible thing in the world mm-hmm. that you see everything. Okay. And even moving, especially in my part of New Jersey, I feel that way. I've moved, I went to college in South Jersey Okay. and I just like went through the orientation period the two days in the summer before I started going yeah. and just the things I heard from other people going to that college and just like whether it was racist remarks or just like classist remarks and I'm just like you don't get it like okay. you did not you feel like you, yeah, you're cultured for lack of a better word area sure so you think that you are the elitist you right. think that you get it whereas like I know my place in the world right I know that like I should never feel higher than anyone else because sure. of where I grew up. Because yeah, so you feel yeah you feel like you had a, a more uh, holistic perspective because of the the area in which you were raised and exactly. the experiences that you were you know you wouldn't wish upon other people right. but you were afforded because of right. what 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 that was. Right. So it, then once you started to I mean I, I always reference high school because that mm-hmm. was obviously such a formative experience for you know everybody at some right. point. Um, what kind of kid did you find yourself being? Like, you know, were you were you into sports? Were you outgoing? Because you seem like a very outgoing, bubbly person to me. Which is a new thing. Okay. It's a thing that I always had, uh-huh. but it's a thing that I never felt comfortable being. I grew up in fifth grade. Well, when I was five, I got a hernia. Oh, Christmas dude, I got a hernia when I was like seven. There you go. That's weird. There you go. You were probably one of the only people that I... And like, because people are like, you get hernia when you lift heavy shit. Right. 
So we're I not was, lifting heavy stuff when we're no, that age. Not really. So I was five, had a hernia Christmas Day. Okay. I was in the hospital getting it fixed Christmas Day. Ugh. My parents brought in a huge teddy bear that was bigger than I was. And yeah. like that was my Christmas. Yeah. Um when I was in fourth or fifth grade, uh-huh. I had a second hernia. Oh dude. So I had a second hernia. I was an active kid, super active. So I had a second hernia in fifth grade and then immediately got mono and then found the internet. I put on sixty pounds. I got so fat. And it was just like <laughs> right. middle school was trying to find that. Like right. was trying to find how to cope with that uh-huh. while still loving the internet. I was obsessed with it. Okay. So it was like I well, never well, went out. What were you just obsessed with like what what were you doing for, on the internet? For middle school or for like the early years of middle school in like fourth and fifth grade, it was wrestling. I would okay. be on wrestling forums. My sister helped me make a Geo Cities or Angel Fire page that was wrestling. Beautiful. Then middle school, it was this thing called Shoutweb. Okay. I've never met anybody that knew about it, but it was just some weird music forum okay. that introduced me to so many different bands. Okay. That like there was a music forum, much like a Bridge Nine or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That it was a board that I could post on and talk to people all over the world. Okay. And of course I was on there lying. I was like yeah, yeah. twelve, like thirteen, and I was telling people that I was like seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. yeah. Go to a bunch of shows. Exactly, exactly. So it's like <laughs> that was my middle school. I was like a metalhead. That was still listening to Bright Eyes. Like, okay. I was, like, listening to Meshuggah. I was listening to, like, and uh, is Tool. All, is all your musical knowledge just completely picked from this message board? I don't know. It's, or was there it's, other... It's so weird to me because it's, like, I remember being in sixth grade and, like, and going to see a meet and greet of Fear Factory. Okay. And I don't know where I found it. Like, <laughs> right. I don't know where that hit me. But I remember, yeah. like, my dad showing me Pink Floyd uh-huh. and me showing him Glassjaw. And, like... Like, so showing like, him, like, a Pantera record. I remember vividly being in the car with him, putting on a, a Pantera record, five uh-huh. minutes alone. He down-tunes his string in the solo, and I go, in the video, he does that there. Of course, in the music video, like, I'm sure in the recording they didn't. Maybe yeah, they no. did. I don't know. But I'm like, <laughs> that stuff I remember. And, like, I remember putting on a Glass Shaw record and being like, he's yelling because he's mad. Yeah, this is so, real life. Exactly. So it's like, I don't know where... I, Glass Shaw I definitely found from Shoutweb. Okay. Atreyu I found from Shoutweb. Okay, From yeah, Autumn yeah. to Ashes I found from Shoutweb. Okay, great. Other bands like that. Like, yeah, so you were just kind of, because I mean, yeah. the, the internet's a perfect place for you. Like, all those things you're mentioning of just like, you're just kind of picking these random things, like, essentially like you're shopping. Yeah. But you're not like, there's no context, or you're not like, oh, that's from that scene. Right. You don't know. Right. So it's like, I'd be in the basement playing guitar uh-huh. and learning like, the whole system of a down toxicity record. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd go upstairs and I'd put on dashboard and I would play the acoustic parts to that. Right. And it was like, I didn't have any friends. So like I would play Metallica on Friday night instead of going out and hanging out. Yeah. I had friends for a little bit and it was just like, I was the chubby kid. Okay. I was the chubby kid who rode his bike, but then would ride his bike to a quick check convenience store and sure. get a two liter of soda and finish it. Right. And then come home and eat like 50 different things. Sure. And like, at some point, I wasn't cool enough to hang out. Okay. Because, like, when my friends started talking to girls, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, And I still was, like, actually talking to other people and how they, like, how their formative years of, like, relationship and dating went on. Uh-huh. And I think it's just being in Piscataway. I bloomed early. Okay. I was always looking for attention. I was always looking for acceptance. Okay. And even when it came to the opposite sex, that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. It was like you recognize that you could that, yeah. that there was a thing that you could potentially explore there. Right? Exactly. Yeah, At yeah, a yeah. very young age, and it was like my friends would go 
and they would go and go to the movies and I would, they would be hooking up with girls and I would just be sitting there talking to them. Like, it was just something I enjoyed doing. I loved yeah. talking. You loved the connection. Exactly. Right. That was middle school. Okay. Freshman year of high school, I found From Autumn to Ashes, I found all of that even more. Sure. And I was in a class, I was in a radio and TV class. Okay. And I saw a guy open up his Walkman CD player and he had uh, Too Bad to Beautiful, Too Bad She's Beautiful, the oh, yeah. From Autumn to Ashes course, record. Yeah, yeah. And I recognize the CD. Right. The artwork on the CD and I looked over and I was like, like, that's blood on that. I was like, I was like, do you like them? Yeah. And she's like, or he was like, yeah. And I was like, I loved them so So much. much, I watched Dawson's Creek again because they used sound clips of it. I bought outfits that I saw them wear. Yeah. You were, you were doing a deep dive into every piece of that record. Yeah. We were just talking in the van. Our, the dude that we're bringing on tour, his name is Ryan. Yeah. He was talking about how he loved Darkest Hour. And I was like, Dude, I remember looking at promos of Darkest Hour and Black Dolly Murder and being like, I need to go out and buy Hanes black t-shirts and yeah. jeans. And just like, that's my style now. Totally. So it was like... Well, because the, the, the thing that I always find so interesting for all of that stuff, it's like, it's essentially, you know, a, a blueprint. Right. Where it's like, here's here's the images of the band, here's the lyrics. Like, this is all like, hey, these are these are attempting to try to be gateways exactly. for like the stuff that we're into. Right. It's and it's incredible yeah. that you can like like because you don't get all of it, but you get like three or four pieces that are yeah. just so like important. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that was one side of what I was doing in my life. Yeah, music, right. huge. In middle school, I started realizing that I was unhappy with my body. Mm-hmm. In middle school, I started bodybuilding. Okay. I started lifting weights, and my parents would see whatever thing I was obsessed with, and I'm the personality type where. I find one thing and I become obsessed with it and I study it. So I realized that lifting weights made me feel happy about who I was. Okay. Because I could be the fat kid, but it's just muscle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or so I was saying. You could write it off, right? Right. (laughs) So like I had a weight bench and an elliptical in my bedroom. Oh, wow. And I would spend hours every day, Mm -hmm. three days out of the week. Right. And then the other four days I was eating terribly. Sure, yeah, yeah. So it's like it never did anything. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like... I would work out, I'd go to a protein shake, I would eat just eight ounces of chicken, like right. just yeah, like bare, actually... Bare minimum protein, yeah. right, right. And then I would go and eat a Hungry Man. Like I would right. go, which is like 65 grams of fat. Totally. Over your daily limit. You'd be line. like, you would just like keep that yeah. weird level of like, yeah, I'm being active, but then I'm also pouring the worst stuff ever in my body. Exactly. So nothing's changing. I would go jog for two miles, I'd come back, I'd eat a huge bowl of cereal and a bagel sandwich of peanut butter like it like didn't ever make sense to me i'd be like i'm working so hard i'm not achieving anything exactly so it was like that was what i was doing ninth grade i found music i found people that like music i remember going on a field trip for radio and tv Uh and meeting my friend jess who is now like my best friend who i've known for ever since ninth grade yeah and she saw me wearing a dillinger escape plan shirt and she just goes cool shirt and i was like wait you know them and she was like yeah like i just saw him recently at chrome which is like the venue chrome yeah chrome of course you know it um, and it was just like, that is where I found people that liked the type of music that I liked. Right. You, you, you found like you opened the door to a community yeah. that was in the real world. Yeah. yeah. And then I remember being in ninth grade and I remember seeing somebody that I found very attractive, that I found very cute. And she had, I don't remember the exact band name, Okay. but I could tell by the style and aesthetic of it that it was a hardcore band. Oh, okay. So ninth grade, John trying to make a connection. Of course. Sees her in the hallway every day. And I just go, cool hoodie. And she goes, oh, you like them? And I was like, yeah. Love them. And I was like, 
Love them. They're great. And I like go home and I look them up and I'm just like, I've literally never heard this band. But it was like in the same vein of hardcore that I could get into. Right, right. Like it wasn't too far removed. Right. You're like, I just hadn't heard of them. Right. right. So that person ends up being in a relationship with a hate edge member of a hardcore gang. Okay. Under house arrest. Okay. Because of like a bomb he or like a some sort of like small pipe bomb that they set off in a bar. Yeah. So he's under house arrest. I'm like in a hotel because the basement flooded and she's coming over to my hotel <laughs> showing me Rilo Kylie. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. the new more adventurous is about to come out and she's like, check out this band, I love them. They're putting out a new song, and I'm just like, Who's this? Right. And she plays me Portions for Foxes. Okay. And I'm like, this is insane. Right. Like, to me, it's Why like, what I... was going on was blowing my mind. Yeah, and she yeah. showed me so many other things. And, like, we never ended up, like, getting... To, we never ended up, like, being in a relationship. relationship. Yeah. She ended up staying with that that guy. Yeah. And, like... I remember it's funny, because one thing I always remember is my friend Jess, me going to her angrily. Just, like, I love this person. I didn't know what love was, but I was just like, right. I love this person so much, and she still was so-and-so. Right. I just, like... He doesn't respect her, and I want to like just go over and steal her away. I was like, I want to go kick his ass because he doesn't respect her. Right. And Jess just going and saying, "I've seen so and so mosh. I don't think you want to fight him." And to me, I was like, I don't care about his mosh. Yeah. And it's like just such a thing that, like, to me, I still see happening, and I still just love the idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the passion that can be right. poured into this 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 fictional relationship right. that you've created in your head, and not fictional like you've already advanced the ball like. 10 paces down right. the court. You're like, right. this is where we are in 10 years. Right. You're like, and this older girl that has her life planned out and I'm in ninth grade. Yeah. I'm just getting into stuff. Right, right. So like that summer before 10th grade, I lose a lot of weight. Okay. I get an electric drum kit. I'd been playing drums. I'd been playing guitar. I'd been playing bass. If there was an instrument and I had a day off, which I always did, I was learning it. Okay. That was just my whole idea of life. Just okay. learn every single thing I could because I'd get bored. Okay. I would just get bored with guitar, so I'd learn bass. Or I learned bass first. Okay. So I'd learn bass, and then I'd learn guitar because it had more strings, and it was challenging. Okay. Picked up drums. Learned drums. Sure. Um, any, like, I mean, it sounds like that. There, uh, any element of ADD, like, like, were you diagnosed with any of that? My mom didn't believe in it. Okay. Well, that doesn't necessarily... She's very, very old-fashioned. <laughs> right, that doesn't necessarily mean you don't have it. Do you feel like you've... Ide- I don't think I do. Okay. I don't know. It's a thing of, like, I love my mom to death. Of course. Throwing that out there immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the caveat, right. Anytime there is a thing of, like, I feel such a way, well, let's figure out how to fix it. So okay. it was like, there's no therapy. There's no okay. psychiatry. Okay. Yeah, there's a practical world solution from they this. They grew up in a way of, are you depressed? Are you bummed? Sure. What makes you happy? Go do it. Right. Like, so it was just, like, a very, like, cause and effect. So right, it was like, right, right, right. Okay, I'm... There's no stuff we need to sort out. There's just exactly. something we need to do right now. Exactly. So I was like, are you depressed because you've been sitting in the house for two weeks and you haven't even seen sunlight? Yeah. Go outside. Go play drums. Like, yeah, go, yeah, yeah. go go play guitar. Because, like, it was just like, there were so many other things going on. My mom was working two jobs. My dad was trying to find a job. 9-11 hurt our family. 9-11, being that close, everyone in a bubble of the Northeast lost jobs. Totally. My mom was working two jobs. She was still trying to go to college to, to finish getting her diploma. Okay. Because she realized that once you get her degree, you, you get your degree, you can get better jobs. Right. So she was putting so much time into the family that we didn't see as kids. Oh yeah, you don't. You don't recognize that. We just that, yeah. saw them coming home being mad. Sure. And like, I was the kid that was always just, and I was sure. a kid that was always just looking for something to do. I was about do. to say, you, it, it strikes me just the way that you're describing it. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, you were just, lo- you were, 
you're looking for things to occupy your time that you could become obsessed with. Exactly. And okay. that's what it was. Right. One day I'd be obsessed with sneakers. Sure. So I'm buying, I'm going out thinking I need, and it's always, I think I need, even to this day, <laughs> it's like, I see something, I see a photo of it. I need, I need this. I, I can't live my life until this comes in the mail. Yeah. You'll be distracted. Exactly. Okay. It would be 9 PM at night and I'd go, dad, I need a weight bench. And I remember going, <laughs> he drove me to, he drove me to like some random sporting goods store. We buy a weight bench, put it in his truck, and I remember being stuck at a parking lot at 10.30 p.m. because the key that he had for his car didn't... It was like an, it was when the electronic keys were out. Oh, sure. Didn't work. And he had dropped it in a puddle, and it was pouring oh, down right yeah, yeah, So we're yeah. standing out, all because I said I needed a weight bench. Of course. And You're it's like, like little things like that are still in my head. Right. It's so fresh yeah. because I did this. Yeah. And so when you, when you, were, yeah. when you were messing around with all the instruments, like was, was the notion in your head that like I, I want to join people and play in a band like was that was that kind of the path or was that just something that again by yeah. accident it was i remember there was a group of friends in middle school that i was a part of eventually in like seventh grade mm -hmm. full of like two or three dudes that really like blink when they and no effects okay and then full of me and my friend who really like corn sure and it was like they we had a group of friends because we were the what i guess now we would call as alt middle school right right so we were like <laughs> joined in that sense but at the same time, we saw SLC Punk. We saw those those ideas that punks and metalheads don't get together. They don't. They, they shouldn't be friends. Right. So we were friends, but we would always poke fun at each other. Mm -hmm. And I remember my friend going and saying, "You know, I heard that a client. I don't. It's not bad. It's cool." And I'm like, "No, you're posing. Right. Like you're you're leaving me. You're leaving my metal world. Yeah, you're for you're, no effect. You're going to the other side. You're gonna go spike your hair and color at different colors. <laughs> sure. And it was just like to me that was the enemy. They were my best friends, but they were the enemy. Okay. Um, but we would get together and we would play a little bit. Sure. And then I was. Did, did that of, give you? Did that give you kind of the taste of? Yes. Like, I want to do this. Yes. Okay. And I was in band. Sure. I was in band. And I remember being in seventh grade and trying out for jazz band, which was only. I was in sixth grade. Okay. You weren't allowed in jazz band unless you were in seventh and eighth grade. Okay. I had shown so much acceleration and just love of music that he allowed me to go try out for the jazz band. Oh. And there okay. was a, a dude who probably still hates my guts, right. who played bass, and I was playing bass because I was the only instrument. They didn't have guitar. It was, right. Bass was the only stringed instrument. And I tried out and almost beat him, but then it was put up to vote, and of course no one knew me. Yeah. So yeah. they were like, well, we know this guy. He's great. Right. Um, so I joined in seventh grade, and I think by eighth grade, they allowed me to start playing guitar. And in eighth grade, they let us keep practicing even after the band was done, even okay. after jazz band was done, even after band was done. And like, there was a point in eighth grade that they didn't have guitar or bass in regular band. So I was playing tuba. Me and my friends had four tubas in the back that we were playing <laughs> yeah. just to have fun in band, okay. just to be near music, be with instruments right. and have fun. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, then we all started practicing and we all started playing together and we had a jazz band band of the four of us where we would all switch instruments one song i'd be a guitar player one song i'd, play, I'd be playing drums sure and we would do covers we would do covers of like the police and then the puff daddy song i'll be missing or oh yeah whatever. yeah sure and it was cool for us to do that because we could they eventually allowed us to play whenever they had the concerts for the jazz band and everything uh -huh. they allowed us to play before everything oh it's amazing yeah yeah you're, you're the so intro music right the right. people would come in and they would see the four of us playing and the adults would love it because it was the police. And yeah. the, the kids would love it because it was Puff Daddy. Right. And it was like, we found different hooks in hip-hop that we associated with that we could play live as, as bands. Sure. So we'd get together and it was like, we'd be playing hip-hop music. 
and the older adults that didn't know the hip hop songs loved it because it was kids playing music. Right. The younger kids loved it because it was they recognized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was my taste of being in a band. That's super fun. Like, it's the the. I mean, in seeing your influences as far as like what it takes to construct making music, like, yeah, it seems like there's there's no way that you wouldn't have that the band that you currently exist in yeah. would have more than just you and one other person. Like, it's like just it's because, weird, right? right? Yeah, yeah, just because you have you have such a. Uh, a, a definitive, I mean, vision on like what what it is that you want to create and like all the various ways that you yeah. can do like you can do yourself because usually it's like when you start bands when you're 15 or 16 years old usually like you know the singer is just because the guy's loud right or the right. bassist is because like he doesn't know how to play guitar so but we like him so. exactly but exactly. you were you were already coming into all of this being like yeah I know how to play like kind of all of this exactly so like. <laughs> Yeah, you were the guy, you were the guy that were like, we have to play with John because he already like he's already good at all. Yes, yeah. and I had the instruments, right. so friends would come over and they would play in my garage because my parents just loved it. Yeah, and it was like we would just play. I remember going to my friend's house in sixth grade, putting on a corn record, and we just didn't have amps, didn't have anything. We were just smacking our instruments, just like sure. playing random stuff. Of course, felt like we were doing it right. Oh, totally. So it was like that yeah, that, that feeling of creation. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Ninth grade, I joined. Uh, me and my friend who introduced me to like Kevin Devine and everything. Okay. I remember going to his, his family's apartment and going through his CD catalog and just pulling stuff and burning it, pulling it, oh, and yeah, putting yeah. it on the, putting it on my computer. And it was like him and I started writing songs acoustically. Okay. And we would play songs acoustically. And nice. it was just like, that was a fun thing. 10th grade is where it all changed. Okay. 10th grade went to, lost a ton of weight because I was just drumming sure. throughout school or throughout the summer. Drumming and working out and just drinking nothing but water and eating healthy. Right. Um, I had gone to Hellfest. Or, or, yeah, I had gone to Hellfest. And I had been, like, approached by a, a, a bunch of the PETA people. Oh, okay. And I was just like, veganism is something that I would like to get behind. Right. And I started kind of doing that as much as I could as someone that didn't have a car. And as someone who, like, his parent, my parents were always welcoming to all of the new ideas but to them, it was like, well, I'm not home to cook dinner anyway. Sure. So whatever you can get from the freezer aisle. Yeah, and this yeah, is before yeah. Morningstar. This is oh, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, Garden before the, but Yeah, before yeah. the vegan game changed. So I was right. eating lean cuisine okay. and stuff like that. So I lost a ton of weight. Went to 10th grade and met somebody and fell madly in love with her. Okay. And she told me that the person before her, I had a Superman complex. I think I still do. Okay. I want to help people. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just want to be able to make things okay. Sure. I want to make things better. Yeah, you want to fix it. So I met this person that I was already, like, madly attracted to. Okay. And she tells me that her boyfriend before her abused her and raped her. Okay. And I was like, not only am I attracted to you, I want to make you okay. Like, yeah. I want to, like... I want to put those I pieces want to make together. You happy. Sure. I want to make you happy. Sure. And we found a connection there. And then a lot of stuff started happening between her and I mm -hmm. that I took for... This is what a relationship is. Okay. This is what you're supposed to do. Right. And we were in a relationship for two years, and three months into it, it started getting very dark. Mm hmm And it started becoming her controlling. Okay. Her a way of dealing with it. Sure. Um, and I remember my friend Jess and I were supposed to go see Fall Out Boy, and it was like, Fall Out Boy had put out a couple, like, the smaller records. Sure. And we knew that Pete went, liked hardcore. Of course. So we were going to go see them at some place in Philly uh -huh. and come in with our Converge hoodies. Of course. And, like, show. You're like, like, yo, we know what's up. We know what you're doing. Like, so, like, this is a big deal to me. Right. And 
she goes, you're not doing that. She's like, because we had planned it in the summertime for September. Right. And she goes, I don't feel comfortable with you going to a show with, with another a girl. girl. Of course. And I was like, well, I need to make you happy. So like, mm. bailed on Jess. Sure. Jess had a birthday party that invited everybody but my girlfriend. Okay. And I was like, well, can I bring her? And she's like, well, I don't know her. I'm not friends with her. So right. like, I would rather not. Like, I'd rather you be there by yourself. Right. To me, I didn't understand that. Okay. So what ended up happening is she would tell me, I don't like this person. And I would go, then I'm done hanging with them. Until yeah, you, eventually. Yeah. Jump, you, she would say right. jump and you'd be like, how high? Exactly. Right. Until eventually I didn't have anybody but her right. and her mom. And like, Which is exactly probably what she wanted. Exactly. Right. And I remember any music I liked, if she didn't like it, we weren't listening to it. Wow. Um, so like I went from listening to metalcore, hardcore, being straight edge, being super into all of that, to... Viewing the world through her prism. That's exactly. It. Yeah. To I'm in this house every day. I'm coming over every day. We go from here, from school to here immediately. Uh-huh. And then if my mom says I have to be home at 10, I'm home at 1030. Right. Like, um, if she didn't like it, we weren't listening to it. Right. So I was starting to listen to what she liked, which was like The Cure, Radiohead, Smashing Pumpkins. Sure. Interpol. And I started finding pieces that I liked in there. And now right. like Radiohead and Interpol are some of my favorite bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it opened my eyes to it. Totally. So it was like, I was able to find peace in it. Mm-hmm. And then I still remember a time where she goes, well, I don't like how much you play guitar. And I think that you need to stop playing guitar and focus more on me. And at first I go, okay. Yeah. And then I started playing guitar when she wasn't around. Right. Secretly getting in there. Yeah. When she would be gone, I would play guitar. And it was like, it was suffocating. But I thought... That it's what I had to do. I thought well, that because you're because you're of that age, you're infatuated. Mm-hmm. Like you, you feel like you have no choice but exactly. to do that. Yeah. So I thought that that was what marriage was. Right. I thought that this was a <laughs> yeah. real, and, and we were 15, 14, 15, and that's what we thought. That's it was. the reality. Sure. We thought that this is what it was, and then it started getting darker. I started changing a lot of my beliefs. Right. I started becoming somebody I wasn't, and it started to get. We would just be sitting around and she would go, wait, didn't you tell me when we first started dating this about this girl? Right. And it'd start to get possessive. It'd start to go back in time. Sure. And she'd start questioning me. And it started to get abusive. And it started to get, we would, she would start fighting me. <clears throat> and she would start fighting me and she would start physically fighting me. Okay. And I would just sit there and I would ball up because I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I was just doing what made her happy. And right. I remember... There's yeah, that was, certain, like, that was like your guiding principle. Exactly. Right. And I remember there was a certain point where we went outside and her family had a camper that was mm-hmm. like parked in their like backyard. And we went there and we were supposed to have like a romantic dinner. Turned into a fight. Uh, turned into a yelling fight. Turned into a physical fight. And we came in and her mom was crying. We came in and her mom had heard everything. She had heard all of it. Ugh. And her mom goes, you guys need to break up. John, you're not safe here. You need to go home. <sighs> and to me, this is all I knew. Yeah. When you're in an abusive relationship, when you're in a possessive relationship, you don't know anything else. You don't, no. So I was doing that. That's your reality. That's all I knew. Yeah, that's your reality. So it was like, I looked at her mom and I was like, I can't. Like, I can't lose this because it's all I have. Of course. And my parents started to realize how possessive she was. My parents had no idea because we were always at her house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my parents started to realize, I still don't think to this day that they realize how abusive she was. Right. Um, But it was a thing of like, 
she would get mad if I wouldn't text. This is when cell phones started becoming a thing. Right. She'd get mad if I didn't text her every single second. And my parents, my dad realized it at some point. And like to my family, they were losing me. To my family, I was getting into fights with my sister. I was getting into fights with my parents. Yeah. And I remember there was one time my dad wanted me to go see one of the new Star Wars that was coming out. We yeah. went to the theater and we went to go see Star Wars. And didn't tell her. Okay. This was me rebelling. This was me rebelling against her. And I was having so much fun because I love my dad. My yeah. dad's one of my best friends. And I didn't have that bond with him anymore. And right. he was going through such a hard time with 9-11. Such a hard time with finding a good job. He needed you. He needed me. Yeah. And I'd never realized it. Because right. to me, I was married. To me, I was... Yeah, you're like, these, all these other things are distractions. Yeah. Especially as a 15, 16-year-old. Totally. This is what I was supposed to be doing. Right. So him and I went to Star Wars. And on the way home, we're like... Dude, let's go get the old ones. Let's go to Blockbuster. Let's get the old ones. Let's marathon this weekend. Yeah. And we had all of these plans set up to go do all of this stuff. Right. And I go home and I turn my phone on and she's pissed. Of course. And I go over there and we fight. And my dad comes back and he's got all the movies. And he's like ready to marathon. Yeah. And I'm just like, sorry, I gotta go to her place. Like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing this. And he's just so bummed. And of I'm course. just like, it took eventually, they had a, they had a beach house on LBI. Do you, okay. It's like a it's like an uh, Long Beach Island. Yeah, like Machado. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um and we went there and it was like at the end of our two years. Mm-hmm. Uh or like right before it was like a two year. And we had already just been having a lot of problems where they were very distant and she started talking to the person she dated before me. Okay. And in my head I was like I didn't understand anything. In my head I'm like you told me all these stories of him beating you and him like right physically assaulting you. But now you're telling me that you're hanging out with him. And I had, like, gotten into a fight with this guy. Yeah. Because she would come home and be like, oh, he like, I am me. He's, like, still trying to talk to me. Right. And I had gone to him and been like, don't ever talk to her. Right. Lay off. Yeah. And he, like, he was a much bigger dude than me. Right. And he, like, threatened (laughs) to kick the shit out of me. Sure. I had put so much of myself on the line. So when she started talking to him again, I was like... Well, what's this? I was like, I just like got in so much trouble, brought my own family into harm right. because of this person. Right. And now you guys are buds again. So I couldn't understand it. And it was like, eventually, I still was so needy mm-hmm. of something. And she like, eventually was like, we're done. Like, we came back from that two week trip and we had already been super distant. Right. And I unpacked all my stuff back in my parents' house. And I was like, do you want me to come over? And she goes, I think we need to break up. And I was like, okay. And I still came over and I still hung out with her mom a bunch. Right. And this was like, would have been senior year. Yeah. So yeah. senior year, I start out and I have no one. Sure. Everyone's like having so you, much fr- fun with their friends they've been with for four years and they're like, oh my God, we're going to miss each other. Right. And I've got no Nothing. one. Right. And it's like my friends like Jess and everybody that I went to shows with, I don't talk to any of them anymore. I haven't been to a show in forever. Yeah. You're a stranger to everybody. Exactly. Sure. And everyone thinks that I'm the weirdo. Right. And then she kind of starts spreading a lot of hurtful rumors to everybody. We started finding people that we had known through being a couple in public. Right. Through being together. That as soon as we became separate, she started telling them Of course. Lies. Totally. So they would look at me weird. And I would just go, well, what What did I do? And they're like, well, she told us stuff that you did to her. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't do anything to her. Yeah, of course. Yeah, she built built her own narrative Exactly. And I was like, I didn't do anything. And like... I felt like I was at war with the world. Right. And it's like a feeling that I still have a lot of the time, but Mm -hmm. it's like, that was the beginning of it. That was the beginning where I was like, what's the problem with me? Right. And it's like, you have these people that are just telling lies, but at the end of the day, you're by yourself in your room and you're going, what did I do? What could I have done to fix that? 
So that was like 12th grade. I found a group of friends eventually. Uh huh. And I started to find who I was again. Okay. I was like, well, I'm going to be straight edge again. Okay. I was 16, 17. Right. I figured, you know, I was once before I can do it again. Right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. You can dive back in. Sure. Exactly. I was like, I love Champion. I love right. what they talk about. I right. love. You're like, I just everything. put this on pause. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I was trying to connect with where I was before. Of course. And I was still trying to deal with everything that I had been through. Uh-huh. So I kind of ignored it. Right. I just didn't think about it for a while. Um, I had a lot of health scares in 12th grade. Okay. They found a lot of stuff. I did a lot of MRIs. It was a worry that I had cancer. Okay. And it was like, it just never seemed like it was going to go right. It right. never seemed like I was going to have like a smooth you, Right. You, you turned a corner yeah. and then something else would be there. I was having heart problems. I was having... Okay. I was going to every specialist you could even think about. Okay. And all of them were putting me through these tests. And at the end of the four weeks, they would just go, oh, I don't know what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, God, this sucks. Right. Like, this <laughs> but is such it's, a crappy life. Hearing all these things of what you're saying now, and then like, obviously, like the way that um, dads is as not only a musical entity, right. but as how you guys present yourselves. Right. Is, I mean, it's a, like overly positive. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that's, 100% deliberate. Exactly. And okay. it's like, because I had like champion, right. other things like that, that were like, like I would go to an MRI and I would come home and they'd be like, we found small tumors in your brain. Uh huh. And I would just go, how much time do I have? Like, let's keep going. Yeah. I was in a relationship that I was happy with. I was like, well, you know, I might not see the next year, but like, I'm happy. And then I was just being, of course, like over dramatic, but I was right. 17. Of course. And right. I was just like, all right. So let's keep going. And I just always was like, well, I have it bad, but everybody has it worse. Okay. I have it bad, but not as bad as others. Sure. Not as bad as my parents. Not as bad as their upbringing. Not right. as bad as everything else. Like, I just didn't have time to feel sorry for right. myself. Right. I can't you know? let that. Yeah. Like, I, I never had time drive. to be like, my life sucks so bad, I need to sit and sulk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, like, wasn't happy with a lot of stuff, but I found what I was happy with, and I kept going. Sure. And it was senior year, and I had said something like, ninth grade. I was like, I can't ever go touring because I need to shower. So I put musical. Like, it was such a simple thing. And I think it was also a conversation that I had with my... Exactly. One little little bird. You're like, I was like, I was such a clean freak. I was like, I can never tour because of this. And it was like one little thing. And it was also a conversation I had with my mom where she just goes... I was in eighth grade. And she goes, if you don't go to college, then there's no reason to raise you. Like, it was basically like, because I was in eighth grade and I was like, I don't want to go to college. Okay. And she's like, if you're not going to college, then what are we doing? Then I'm, then I, yeah, I'm It out. was like, I'm right. putting in so much work and so much saving of money and working for your college funds. Sure. What are we doing if you don't go to college? And neither of them had degrees. Neither of them ever had the ability to go yeah, to so college. They, they, yeah, they so wanted, they, saw it. they had that desire for and you. they were right. just like, you and your sister are going to go to college. Right. And I was like, okay. So in my head, I thought, well, I can't go to college for music. I have to figure out something else I can do. Okay. So I, I started loving radio, TV, and film. I started studying film. Sure. And it was a, a huge thing where I became a part of the drama club scene. Okay. I would go to the drama club group, get people to act in my films, and eventually they'd go, well, you're a great actor. Why don't you act in drama club? So I started doing drama club in senior year. Sure. I found a group of friends through that. Yeah. And then uh, I started working on going to college, and I was like, well, this college has radio, television, film. Okay. And my mom was like, that's fine. Whatever makes you happy. And it's, I'm so grateful for those parents. Yeah. Because I know so many people that I would meet that'd be in school for business and they'd see what we were doing and they would go, I wish I could do like, that. That's fun. Do it. It's like, it's, yeah. it's interesting because your mom, like your mom, your mom and, and dad had a clear path they wanted you to mm-hmm. go on, but that 
you were able to fill in the details of that exactly. Path, which exactly. Is, that's that's important. And it was like they allowed me to do anything. Yeah. And like, if I wanted to go to college and be like, I'm going to go study art museum curating, they'd be like, cool, cool, cool. As, as long, long as you're as doing you're it. happy, and right. as long as you're doing it, right. And then there was a period of time. Where we were doing like a going away party for college, for high school. Okay. And it was like just like a summer party and someone had a guitar. Mm-hmm. And I'd still been playing guitar. Right. And I played guitar around this campfire and I played like some brand new covers. And everyone was just like so happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> everyone just became so happy. And I would finish a song and they would go play again, play it like some more. Yeah. And it became this thing of like, we're going to have a campfire every weekend. Somebody bring a guitar for John, or John will bring a guitar. Right. And it became, at some point in the campfire, John was playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And I just remember feeling, because I'd played with people, but I'd never played like for with people that I connected to for okay. them. Sure, sure. Because parents and younger kids is whatever. Right. Making them happy, but I don't really like, I don't see a view, like right. I don't there's see not, There's not an emotional, with. right, right. Whereas these are my best friends, and they are happy because of my entertainment. Right. So I was just like, you know, this is cool. You're like, this is a thing. This yeah, is a this thing I good. enjoy a lot. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I go to college, and within the first year, I hate film. Hate everybody I meet right. that studies it. Okay. I go in there with, like, love of David Lynch and Ingmar Bergman and just yeah, the French yeah. New Wave and art. Right. And these people are like, I love blockbusters. And sure. they're like, I love Rush Hour 3. And I'm like, <laughs> I like you don't get it. This yeah. isn't film. Right. That's... And, like... They, I remember being in like a freshman year and there was like a thing that one of my professors did that was like pictures of different directors uh-huh. and different scenes. If you can name them, you'll get extra points or something. Okay. And I was just spouting them out. And sure. some kid in the back just goes, I wish that I had his knowledge of film. Yeah. And I was like, I studied this. This is what I study. It's a passion. Right. An obsession. Sure. So it's like, <laughs> it was like. You just started to realize like, it's like, yeah. these are not my people. Exactly. So yeah. I like didn't feel good about it. And then I realized that like you had your tech nerds. That would come every weekend with a new magazine that mm-hmm. said, this $5,000 camera is the best is one the, on the market. Right, sure. And I'm like, well, I like, because I like saved up a bunch of money that I worked, or I, I like worked at a PetSmart. Okay. Saved up all of my money, bought a prosumer camera. Mm-hmm. Super into it. It was filming everything. Yeah. And then by the time I got to college, I was the only one that had one. And I got to college and I realized that what people were doing as freshmen in college was stuff I was doing as freshmen in high school. Right. And I just didn't feel like the initiative and the the, the discipline was there. I didn't sure. feel like anyone cared about it as much right. as I did and I got so mad. They, people were going through the most... It's so interesting that, that you bring that up just yeah. because I do feel like a lot of people, they feel like, especially in their, their formative years, they feel constrained by their environment, like high school. They're yeah. like, oh, I can't start anything. I can't yeah. do anything. It's like, no, you can't... Like exactly what you're saying. You can... Do this thing right now. Yeah. Like that's you always f- been my deal. That's yeah. always been my thing of like, you can stop what you're doing and learn how to do this. <laughs> totally. Especially totally. with the internet. Totally. With everything we have, you can learn anything. Totally. So it's like, ninth grade, I was so annoyed. And then I, I found a best friend. I remember sitting in, in my dorm. I hated my roommate more right. than anybody. And I like, <laughs> remember somebody in my suite had a guitar and was playing guitar. And mm-hmm. he's like listening to Dinosaur Jr. And I'm like dude, what's up? You yeah, like hey, right. And he's like, yeah, I like Bright Eyes. And I was like, cool, what are your favorite albums? And he goes, oh, Digital Hash, Digital Earn is cool. And then like, Wide Awake, It's Morning is cool. And I was like, oh, have you heard like Lifted or Fevers? And he's like, I didn't know that they had other albums. Yeah. And I was like, dude, 
Let's talk. Let's talk. And I like showed him Neutral Milk Hotel. I showed him Bright Eyes. Showed him everything I had. Right. And we became best friends. We started playing music together. Okay. Him and I started to find a, a dude who could drum. Okay. So we played in a band. We had a band. And we would play shows. We would right. have, in my dorm, we'd invite all of our friends and they'd come over and it would be like 20 people in my dorm and we'd be playing on my bed. And that was just what we did. We entertained. Yeah. We'd go to parties and people would be like, put on your song. And we'd put on our song and we'd all be at a party listening to it. Right. And singing. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. Totally. So like, I started finding like a weird distance between filmmakers who were too into tech who didn't like a story and then i started finding this weird thing with even one of my best friends i showed him kubrick i showed him lynch i showed him all of that sure and he became a monster okay and it became a thing of like i started to find happiness in the idea of a blockbuster because it can take you away from real life oh of course it's a distraction so like, right right a disaster movie meant the world to me because I can go watch like the day after tomorrow and feel comfortable. Of course. Whereas I can watch a Godard feel, film and hate the world that I'm in because it's something that I have to deal with. Right. Because yeah, you're exactly. So it's your like, challenge. Exactly. Right. right. It would only make my problems worse that I still loved it. But like, then I can go watch a disaster piece blockbuster and be like, I'm glad I got to check Dude. out for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah, yeah, shut yeah. my mind off, but my friends didn't get that. Sure. So like my friend, I would go see like a Transformers movie movie and my friend would just be like, Dude, you're a poser. Yeah, like, you're wasting your time. You're, what right. are you doing giving them money? Like, that's a bad medium. And I'm like, you don't get it. So, like, we started to have a riff there. Right. It's always, I felt been a thing of, like, and I really had a connection with this idea of I've always been too much of this, but not enough of this. Oh, and sure. vice versa. Right, right. So, like, yeah, always, you never, you, you never, you, you feel home, but never fully home. Because right. there's always some little weird yeah. distinction. Yeah, sure. And sure. it's always been, like, even with music, I was always... Too metal to be punk. Yeah. But I was too punk to be metal. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's very... I mean, it's interesting because it's like you... I mean, hearing all your influences and like, you know, reading other interviews. Yeah. And the way that you put yourself out there is is definitely like your your musical spectrum is wide. Yeah. And, and I feel like a lot of people... Uh, I mean... More more so now because it's kind of the you know it's the the digital medium where you're like oh yeah I like everything like you say that right you say that but you actually do, like you don't yeah. you may like a song from Skrillex but like do you actually like would you go see him live like right there's yeah there's not as much investment where it's like you can be like oh yeah of course promises kept by champion and yeah then like yeah exactly. Friday's like oh, I know all of this I know exactly. all of this record I know all of this and it's like there's a there's an investment in it as opposed to like just one song or whatever and I feel as though. Because of, I always kind of say that the two years that I was out of it are the two years that I'll never get back that when people were listening to, I call them punk 101 bands, yeah. that are now reuniting. Sure. I never listened to them because I wasn't listening to music. Sure. So it's like there are punk 101 bands that I would have fell in, fallen in love with and that I would have learned everything about, mm -hmm. but I never did. Right. So when I picked up music again, I picked up Converge, I picked up Champion, I picked up... Sure. A lot of the softer stuff because my friends didn't listen to heavy stuff. Right. And I remember like I found one friend who liked Folly. Yeah. And we would go see Folly live. I love yeah, Folly. Folly's so good. <laughs> and like he was just into going to shows. Right. So I would take him to everything. Sure. But then he ran out of money. So he right. couldn't go to shows. Sure. So it was like. Well, and I, I think it, I think it also it's. I think it makes the art, whatever, how much ever stuff you put in your head. Yeah. From a musical or film yeah. perspective. It, it will intrinsically bleed out into what you're creating personally. It's exactly. like that's that's why like dads is obviously interesting because it's like of course you could, you know, joke around and just be like, Well, obviously the kings of emo, courtesy of property of Zach. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's easy to put you in, in that category, but it's like there's so many more there's there's a lot more textures behind right. what you guys are doing. There's that, 
there's a drum beat on the first full length that I wrote while playing along to a Drake song. Right, right. There's a drum beat on a new song that I wrote while playing along to a Casey and Joe's song. So right. it's like, I would get bored right. with what was going on currently, and I would go back. Sure. And my favorite thing to do is you find a band that you love, yeah. and you find what got you into it. Like, yeah, you what got down. them into it. Totally. So you keep going. And it's like, I've heard other people do that, and I'm like, okay, I'm glad that that's not just a weird thing. Yeah. But it's like, I found different bands by doing that. Right. Um, yeah, and it, can, it, yeah. it, 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 de- it deepens your experience. And then yeah. ultimately, it's like, no matter what you're creating, that will like influence it. Yeah. And it's like that that will that will only benefit it, right? It's never you're never going to be, uh, I mean, unless you're like trying to achieve something that clearly, like you know, like you're not going to start a hip hop right. career tomorrow, right? Like, something I tried though, <laughs> it's like something like right. It's definitely like there is a point where uh, well, that, that doesn't surprise me because obviously you're just diving into everything. Because before Dad's was a such a big like touring machine that was right. constantly touring, and if we're not touring, we're writing. If we're not writing, then maybe we'll take three weeks off. Right. But it's like. Before that, it was just filling every second. I would go play a show with friends in college. They would go to the bar. Right. I would go back home, and I would play music. Okay. I would go back home, and I'd play guitar. So you're like, that's not enough. I it know. wasn't. Right. We would play for an hour, and I'd go back home. They would go out to the bar to party, right. and I would play. Like I would keep going. And it's like, at that hour, at the very end, we were finally hitting on something. I'm going to keep going. And like that's right. how I've always felt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like we're just at the tip of the iceberg. We can go on tour uh-huh. for two and a half months. And when I come home, I'm like, that wasn't good enough. I need to keep working. I don't... And that's like that's what I've, I've found as I've gotten older. It's I have an appetite to keep working. Right. That like I'm but, finally... But, but there's, a, there's an important distinction that I... In hearing the way that you're mm-hmm. describing it, it's, it's the... You enjoy the process mm-hmm. rather than the result. Mm-hmm. I mean, the result is awesome. It's right. an awesome byproduct. Right. But it's like, I feel, and I've noticed this for any medium that a person is being creative. If you're looking at the result and then being like, how do I get there? Exactly. Like, that, that's fine, but you need to enjoy the stuff in the middle. Right. You need to enjoy the process. You exactly. need to enjoy the nitty gritty of, like you say, playing for an hour and then be like, oh, that's not enough. Like, right. playing for another hour. Right. And that's what I've always been in love with. Yeah. Whether it was film, whether it was music, whether it was any type of art. It sure. was like, I'm the dude that like, I would see a film and then I would go learn everything about it. I would right. go learn about, oh, they shot it on this. Oh, they like did this. They, totally. The characters had to watch this movie to go with it. And yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. as an artist, I would start doing stuff where it was like, I wrote a whole film and I would just listen to the Velvet Underground. Right. Just in hopes that like, <laughs> one day someone would be like, dude, I get it. Right. I would start like putting little things in there like right. that. And it's like, <laughs> I love, like you're saying, I loved the making of it right, so the much process. more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that that's still a thing with dads where it's like, we'll put so much time into something and I'll finally hear the final product, whether it's an album or something. And I'm very, very happy with it. Yeah. But I can't get over the process of it. Right. Where I'm like, that's cool. Does it match it when we did it in practice five weeks ago? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does it match what's in my head? Right, right, right. And the uh, there's two last things I want to hit on the yeah. the idea that um, you know because you guys you know that what you put out there is obviously you know it, it and when I say put out there in regards to not your music but just the way you are on social media mm-hmm. where it's like you know the the I mean you're goofy you are um, you know self deprecating you, right. you there's a lot of things that you do that obviously 
uh, like we were alluding to earlier, it's like people will be like, that's not very professional. Like, cut right. that out. That's right. stupid. Uh, and I'm sure it's like, that's obviously a learning curve for you where mm-hmm. you're, you're probably, your instinct is to do something silly, but then be told like, oh, someone might be get bummed out at that or whatever. Exactly. exactly. Um, but how, how do people, how do you notice like, you know, the kids that come to your shows, like, do they, do they reference that? Do they obviously pick up on that? Do they notice it and like try to interact with you? Like, you know, like, oh, you're really funny. Like, I can't wait for you to be funny. Like, That's kind of like what we've been dealing with. Okay. Where it's like we've played a show and in the middle of a show, in the middle of a set, mm-hmm. people might shout out a joke in reference to a tweet that I had tweeted <laughs> months ago. Right, right. We just posted a tweet recently that was like, oh, we were bringing a bass player, but... He didn't know life is a highway, so we kicked him out. We post a photo of us playing some session with a bass player, and a kid comments on it going, I guess he learned it. And in the van, we go, what are they talking about? Right. And we had to remember, oh, Oh, that kid is referencing life as a highway. And, like, that's been a thing where it's like, and I've, I've, I don't, I would never, this is a a conversation that Sean and I have, Sean Rorard, a lot. Because Sean and I have become best friends. Uh He's helped me through so much. And it's something that, like, I've never seen or realized because to me, I'm, I'm just a person. Right. To me, I'm a random dude. Yeah, yeah, that you just put it out there. Is dealing, is like totally. living. Right. And I've seen a lot of other musicians and actors and stuff, public faces, yep. that say, you know, I go out and people expect me to be this person. People expect me to be that. And I've seen a lot of dudes in hardcore that are like, oh, yeah. They expect me to be angry all the time. Of course. But I'm just a funny guy. Totally. But it's kind of like they expect me to be funny all the time why do you see it and we're angry we're mad right right. and the other thing is like i think with the whole emo label for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. you listen to a dad's record a lot of the songs are about getting over stuff and being positive sure and we've heard so many people talk about like american radas and stuff and being like oh man like i love this record because it like it's so sad sure and it's like one of the major lines in the first song is you only you can change yourself because you have to sit there and say I'm not going to be sad about it. I'm going to change. Right. Because I can sit here and be bummed. Like, my entire life, I've realized, uh, finally, yeah. that's like, I'm going to be bummed because so-and-so is doing this, so-and-so is getting that. I realize that I have these problems. Let me fix them. Right. My dad's not going to fix them. My best friend isn't going to fix them. My girlfriend's sure. not going to fix them. I have to. Right. And it's something that I don't think, and I'm not, I don't think it's a huge problem in society, mm-hmm. but I think that it's like, there's this whole idea of like, feeling sorry for oneself to a point of everyone feeling sorry together. Of course. And it's bring like, it down to the same it's love. misery loving company. Of course. To the point that everybody wants to be miserable. And the second that you're not miserable, you're an enemy. Of course. The second how can we pull that see, per- how can we pull that person down? Right. The right. second that people see, oh, you're happy? Mm-hmm. No, you're not cool anymore. You're not part of it. Yeah. And yeah. it's like you have to understand that you aren't you shouldn't always be sad. Of course. And they you shouldn't should, Yeah, you both of these emotions right. sadness. Both of these emotions are valid. They're real parts of the yeah. human experience, and you can't have you can't have one without the other. Exactly. And I think the 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 notion that someone lives in one longer than the other it's just stupid because it's like you 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 need to embrace both in order to understand it. And if you're like if you're just if you're just trying to look at sadness and being like how do I how do I get this yeah. away? You need to like live in that for that particular moment. Right. Right. Because if you don't, you just try to like artificially you know whatever plug a hole in the dam yeah it's that you're you're not going to actually like you said learn from that experience. exactly and it's like i have never been interested in always being sad right 
And it's like something that I've even dealt with, like even in college, I would write papers on like, does a good artist, whether it's successful, whether they're happy with their art, right? Are they good because they are always sad? Sure. Are they good because they are depressed? Because they're creating it from creating it from right. pain, right? right? Totally. And it's something that I've noticed that Jeremy from Touche also is dealing with. That it's yep. like, how possible is it to write and produce art, right? As a happy person, sure. And I think that it's something that a lot of us are working with, where it's like, we're happy people. Scott and I, yeah, we're completely happy with where our life is. Totally. But it's still being perceived as like sad. Of it's course. still being perceived as like us being bummed out. And like the new stuff is like, these are parts of my life that I'm reflecting on, that I'm thinking of. And I'm not a sad guy. Right. I'm not always sitting in a room crying. Right. I'm happy. Right. And it's like, it's it, it's also weird because you have the flip side of like people being like, that record helped me like get through so much stuff. And I'm like, thank you. It helped me as well. Like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's still helping me. <laughs> it it yeah. works both ways. <laughs> yeah, it's still helping me. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, but it's that you have to realize that like, to get through something, you have to get through it. Totally. You can't just sit there. No, no, yeah, yeah. The uh, the last thing I want to hit on yeah. is the 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 context in which you guys have obviously come from, which is like you know basement shows, mm-hmm. like you know the obviously the DIY culture that everybody embraces and loves, and then obviously now because you've been put up to a larger level in regards to you know like the music industry becoming a real thing as mm-hmm. opposed to like oh yeah like we'll worry about that when we get there. <clears throat> One of the most revealing things to me. Because I just never, I, I like the idea of you know selling out and all that stuff. That's like mm-hmm. you know dead and buried. Like I it, thought so too. And but it's like I remember like I I spoke. This was a while ago, but on the podcast I spoke with um, Keith from you know Empire Empire. Yes. And we were talking, and he was. This was actually off mic, and I, I doubt he'll mind sharing this or me sharing this. But he was just like he was like you know I'm worried about like you know, the next kind of steps of the band because like I'm worried that like when we decide to play like legitimate venues, you know like with sound systems mm-hmm. and stuff like that, like. Our our original fans will like look at that as like a you know oh like oh I've lost the band now. Mm-hmm. like they're on to a next level mm-hmm. um, so whatever wrapping it's, that all I've up, had that conversation with him too so yeah. it's really funny yeah I know it's just it's and I, like when he was telling me this I was just like are you like that's a thing though I know and I'm like like that it, it this this inherent idea that it's like bands can be successful up to this point where I feel comfortable with and then once they've broken through they're not mine and I don't right. care anymore right like how have you guys had to struggle with that and obviously still try to like feel like you're bringing people along for the ride so to speak you know because I'm sure that's like it's a, a huge thing over the past yeah. year for you guys I mean like I remember when we did our first full US tour and we came home and like we left for that tour and we had friends that were like have fun a full US is terrible and Scott and I are sitting there like well, it's like booked and like we're yeah. having a great time like it's I don't know right. that we're gonna ever have a hard time and it was just like it was never a thing of like we're gonna be in the red here it was never money to yeah, us yeah, yeah. we've never been doing this because of money it's the process so it's, it's like right, right. yeah it's the experience yeah. so it's like when we came back and we weren't posting about how in the red we were or how like yeah. how bad and unsuccessful rough. it was right. I think people were just like wait you guys did it yeah. like you guys were able to do it Fuck you. Like, yeah. and then like, after that, we, after that tour, we had a booking agent for the first time in our lives. Right. And it was a thing where like, that dude came to us and was like, I'm going to get fired unless I sign you. Like my boss came to me and said, I'm going to get fired unless I sign you guys as my band. And I was yeah. like, I don't want you to get fired. And like, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want that. And like, we've talked to other people since and they've been like, he did the same thing to us. Right. So it's like, whatever. But it's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, of course, everybody who puts hours and hours and weeks of time into being stressed that their show won't go well. Right. Would love to have a dude come in and be like, I'm going to book you guys. Of course. 
it makes the world so much easier. And yes. it's like, this person can focus on that and we can focus on getting to the show and playing it. Right. And we can focus on, hey, dude, we need some gas money. Stuff like that. But of it's course. not like we don't have to make those calls. And then a booking agent obviously can work with actual promoters, can yep. work with actual venues. Totally. And it was definitely a thing where like when we started doing venues, because we would play in like Richmond, Virginia. Right. There'd be 200 kids in a basement. Yeah. We'd play at a venue down the street. There'd be 50. What is it about the random venue even playing on the floor yeah. that is a deterrent than a basement? Sure. And I think it's just, it's, it's the corporation of it. It's the, the pay of it. Because sure. not many venues are doing $3 shows. Of course. It's the, you can't get into a venue with a six pack and say, well, yeah. I just don't have party money. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it takes away the punk of it. Sure. I think a lot of it goes back, and I don't know much. Yeah. I'm not a, a, Yeah, yeah, a you don't pretend to be an authority. Sure, right. sure. But from what I can tell, I think it takes away the punk and the accessibility of it. Sure. Whether it's a stage or whether it's a basement, it's like a band like Empire Empire even. Yeah. You know, I've had this conversation with him where he, it's like they're playing on the basement. You can touch them. Of course. Versus they're playing on a stage... Do they think they're a pedestal band? Like, yeah. and that's a thing that like I've seen bands, and it's like I have no problem with that. Yeah. But is it because I'm part of the the band that's am I part of the scene that's trying to grow? Sure. And I think that it's like maybe it's a misery loves company thing again, where yeah. it's like all of these people have their little secret. Right. It's not a secret anymore. No. It's, it's yeah huge. Totally. Now. Totally. And you that see, and that's that. I think that's the most important thing. Where it's like you know from a band or whoever. When you have a piece of art and you share it, it's obviously not yours anymore. The same thing can be said for a music scene. Right. Once once it's been built and it's been built on the backs of many hardworking bands, right. many, many tours, many, many failures. But now that it's obviously reached a level to where it's like you can make a lot of money of it. You can, you know, corporations can make a lot of money. Businesses yeah. can be built yeah. off of it. It's like it, it's clearly not ours. Right. So why... I always look at it from the perspective, why should we keep these amazing things a secret? Especially it's like, you know, bands like, obviously, it's like you, Touche, like we can name, you know, like 20 bands that are ethically sound, good people, mm -hmm. putting forth a positive message. Why would we want to keep that secret? Right. Why? Like if at the end of the day, and this is a conversation I've just recently had with Sean. Yeah. If at the end of the day, whether it's drumming, whether it's singing, whether it's playing bass, whatever. Mm -hmm. If at the end of the day, I want to entertain to help. Right. Why am I then stifled because I'm not playing a basement? Totally. Why am I then made to seem like the asshole right. because I'm wanting to play to even more people because I want to entertain and help more people? Totally. So it's like... Because you never, you never know at that particular show if a 14-year-old kid, it's their first show, right. and like you, dads can be their gateway band. Like, that right. can be the band that sets them off on right. that direction where it's like, dude, now they're one of us. Right. Why would we not want to draft more cool people into our... Because it's not a secret anymore then. Right. But it's like, I know bands that are smaller and just, like, hold this arrogance of, like, we're a rock star. I yeah. shouldn't have to oh, do this. And it's sure. like, we finish our set and I immediately go and look at my phone and I look at Twitter and I look at Instagram and it's like, did you tag us? I'm going to like your photo. I'm going to talk to you. Did you like the set? Were you into it? I love to connect. Sure. Back is what we were talking about before. Totally, totally. I love the connection of it. Right. And I see, like, Brittany does yeah, the same yeah. thing. She and it's like, us. you play the set and you want to talk to people about yeah, it. Yeah. You want to just meet people and talk. Right. And it's like, if a band went, I can understand if a band went from playing basements to then playing huge venues and they never talked to anybody. Oh, totally. But it's like, we're still the same people. Yeah, exactly. We've never changed. <laughs> right, right. If you... anything, it's weirder for us because we can't, 
hear a good mix in our monitor because we have lights that we can't see people. If anything, it's weirder right. for us because yeah, we're yeah. nervous as fuck. Right, you're becoming acc- like, right. You're becoming acclimated to a different environment. Yeah, right. We did that world is tour with Pity Sex, and then we came home, and like that tour did crazy. Right. Because to us, like it would be like, oh, this place is sold out, and we're like, that's cool. And then we'd sit, we'd get in the van on the way, and we're like, did you say that was a 300 cap venue, and there were 300 people there? Yeah. What? Yeah. And I remember we went home and we played with the front bottoms, and it was a, like it was eleven hundred people there. And I remember being like, "This is gonna be so cool! I've come to this venue so many times to see shows." And then we got on stage, and I looked out, and I was like, "Oh!" And I feel I know it's gonna happen again at the Glass House tomorrow, but it's oh, like, right. "Yeah, well, this is real. This is insane." Like I feel more comfortable in a basement of where course, like I right. don't have to worry about this. Right. But right. it's like. At the end of the day, I'm still the same person. No, totally. Yeah, there's 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 not this like corrupting influence that happens because a band grows larger. It's like it, right. especially it's like if you still you know, you, you still stay rooted in the fact of like you're saying, you enjoy the process. And that's, right. That's all that matters. Once you lose sight yeah. of that, that's when I think you just you you become concerned about all the tangential things that come from being successful as right. opposed to the thing that actually made you successful right. in the first place. I remember because we we did the tour with Reggie in the full effect, and I remember yep. James saying to me because I feel like there's a, there's some sort of correlation, whether it's not musically or something. Yeah. There's a correlation between what's happening right now and when MyChem broke. Totally. When MyChem broke and sold, I think it was like 1.7 mil. Totally. On three cheers. Yep. And it was like, James told us that he remembers the time when he heard it went gold. Right. And he said, the scene's dead. Like, yeah. the scene is over. Totally. That record did so well that it's done. Of like, course. And they went on to do bigger, better things, but it was just like a band is going to come out of the scene again. Yep. And they're going to break. Of course. And it's yeah. just going to be like, and I think it's already kind of happening. Totally. Where it's just like so many people are coming into it. And I remember like there are different journalists that are now talking about emo and now they're getting, yep. They're getting a fire back at them because they're going, where were you before this? And yeah, it's yeah. like, why can't we just be happy that people are talking about it? Of course. Don't. Try and rank yourself of yeah, been here longer. I was here first. Right. Every, there's always going to be someone that's older than you that's into it before right. you. That's Why it. not just be happy that more people are there to support it? Totally. Because the problem with the industry where we were before, say two years ago, is that every band would put out an EP and then break up. Of course. Or maybe an there LP. There's no longevity, right. People, we put out our LP and the people started writing into us going, please oh. don't tell me you guys are going to break up now that you put out a record. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not how bands work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's how bands worked at that point because they would go play a show or they would go do a tour, come back in the red. Yeah, there's no infrastructure. Of course. There's no way for them to keep, like, nobody wants, whether you're an artist or not, wants to be in the van making no money, hating life. Hey, I can't sustain myself. Right. <laughs> they got bills to pay and totally. you can't pay your bills if you, like, aren't making money on tour. Of and course. then you can't tour because you're not making money. Of course. So, like, yes, there isn't an evil of money. Yeah. But at the end of the day, as long as it it's not happens. right, and as long as it's not a corrupting influence. Right. Right. So it's like I've seen so many people especially with just what's going on with this whole scene now being so mad because of like not just not about us, yeah. but about the whole thing of like sure. everyone putting their hands in the pot and it's like okay, I don't think we're at a point yet where anyone's exploiting it. No. Maybe they are and I just haven't seen it. Yeah. I don't think we're at a point yet where You could cite random circumstances, right. but it's like that of course, that's always going to happen. Right. You might think that, oh, well, so-and-so wrote about this band, and now they're just doing it to get more blog hits. Sure. Well, isn't that cool that, like, somebody is going to that site because of that band? Of course. Isn't that cool that that band is doing it so well that people are into it? Right. And it's just, I don't know, I feel like it's just like... It's just... It goes back to college. It goes back to everything I've done where you want to be a well-rounded person. Of course. You want to 
know as much as possible in the world. Yeah. As a band, as an artist, you want to do the same. Sure. If a metal blog came to us, and we've played a metal fest where we were the only emo band. Right. Or the only indie band, whatever. Sure. And like, that's fine. Right. Because at the end of the day, those people were like, oh, I never would have heard about you guys, but it was sick. Of course. Right. You're like, that's great. Yeah. We've accomplished something. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like, I feel like everyone's kind of afraid of that right now. Yeah. I feel like everyone's kind of afraid of losing it. Sure. But it's like, I can't speak for every single band. No. But if we played to 2,500 people tomorrow, if we played 25,000 people tomorrow, mm-hmm. we'd still be the same people. Yeah, 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 We'd still be out there talking and hanging out. Sure. And exactly. that's not going to change until we start getting death threats. <laughs> so, like, until we have a reason that we need to go back inside right. to the green room or something like of that, course, right. we're still going to be the same cool people. Right. Well, I don't think there's any better cherry on top of that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, I really appreciate this. Today. Of course. This is awesome. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a lot, right? The producer for the show, as always, is Tom Richfield. And, again, I apologize for the intro audio quality. And, um, you know, that's just that's just something that happens, you know? Run and gun sort of stuff. I'm on vacation. Deal with it. Which, actually, I'm not on vacation now. I'm back, but I'm recording this on vacation. I'm traveling back in time and forward in time at the same time. PropertyZack.com, 100wordspodcast.com. The guest next week is Dan Smith. He's a very popular tattoo artist out of Orange County. He's also been on reality television, and we talk about so much interesting stuff. It's also Australian. Such cool conversations with people from there. But anyways, just take care of each other and be safe, please. (laughs) I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.